the reason why Brexit came as such a surprise to so many people in, in, in London was because they do not hear or read the voices in the area that I grew up in, which voted to leave. You know, it's, it's diff- two different countries. You know, I know it sounds like some kind of very like banal hippie-ish kind of thing to say, but it's on- only empathy and understanding brings people together. And the, and the only way you're going to heal the division is by listening and, 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 and not talking at people, but listening to them and to their stories. Welcome back to Portals, a virtual taste of the International Literature Festival Dublin, taking you beyond your radius. I'm Kaylin Hogan, and today I'll be speaking with David Peace, author of The Damned United, Patient X, and the Tokyo Trilogy, all published by Faber. Very glad to have you with us today, David. Thanks Thank you. for being here. Thank I know you. you were due to come to Dublin soon and had quite know, the journey uh, planned. I know, and, 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 and one I was particularly looking forward to, to, to the festival and, and also to, to go up to Belfast to the No Alibis bookshop. So I was, I was going to be spending, um, you know, uh, a good part of the week was my plan in, uh, in, in Ireland. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very disappointing. Yeah, but I mean, that's the, you know, the, you know, you're, you're, Every time you speak these days, you have to uh, qualify these things. But I mean, you know, you know, would that was my only disappointment at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, a lot of your books deal with with times of extreme change uh, from, you know, the immediate aftermath of World War Two to the Kanko earthquake, the miners strike in Britain. Um, so how how has your experience been so far of, of this moment of, of change during the pandemic and and how is it where you are now? You've been based in Japan for, for many yeah. years. I'm speaking to you now from Tokyo, from the east end of Tokyo, where, I, where I've lived now for the, for the best part of 30 years. And, um, you know, mer- mercifully, Tokyo and Japan has um, been spared the catastrophic situations that have happened, you know, p- p- particularly for me personally in the UK and um and in America and Italy and, and many other places. I mean, it is a it remains a mystery, and it's very early, and who who knows that what the reasons will ultimately prove to be. But I mean, you know, in Japan, the the number of cases um, is much less than you have in even on, even in Ireland, which is always held up as a you know as as a great example compared to the you know what happening next door in the UK. So, um, I mean, it does feel that we've. We've been living with it for a long time. I mean, the, fa- the first case was mid mid January, and um, the schools have been shut here since about the twenty twentieth of February. Um, but we've never had a we've never had a a, a lockdown. We we have a state of emergency, which is a kind of loose kind of voluntary lockdown. So usually I have an office where I work, uh, which involves getting the train and stuff. So these days I don't. Um, I work at home, but it's, you know, I'm in a very privileged position where it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference to to my daily uh, routine. Um, so so medically, and um, uh, Japan has been spared, but I think economically, it, 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 the repercussions and already the immediate effects are, are quite immense. Um, people, particularly 
and it actually seems everywhere that people can't talk about this without some kind of reference to the war, which is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that's a good thing or the right approach. But you know, particularly in the UK, it's been dressed up in a kind of, in a, in a kind of rhetoric of like the Second World War kind of patriotic efforts and so forth. Um, and it does feel that like it, it could be um, a change that could be as immense as that. I, I don't feel. Um, we're anywhere near the end of it, so it's very difficult to tell. Definitely. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, first about Patient X, uh, the casebook of Ryanosuke Akutasawa, uh, the um, master of short story uh, writing in, in Japan who died at 35, um, who you write about. It's, mm. In some ways, I was thinking of it in terms of that that term autofiction is is kind of controversial or not everyone uh, likes to use it. But I, I almost, when I read your work, I almost think of the term biofiction. Kutagawa is a writer that I, I, um, I think, I, you know, he's, he's probably best known to like non-Japanese listeners that, that through the Kurosawa film Rashomon, which is an adaptation of two of um, Akutagawa's most famous stories. But and although I'd seen Rashomon before I came to Japan in 1994, I, I, I wasn't really aware that Akutagawa was the person who'd written them. But when I came here early on, and this was in the this was in a time when um, when there was no internet and you couldn't get books from abroad, so you, there was a very limited amount of English language books available in 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 Tokyo, and there was a there was a a small collection of translated stories and the title was Rashomon and I think I think this was um, the reason I was probably drawn to it and um, and I bought that back in, you know very soon after I'd got here in 1994 and it um, and one of the stories in particular which is called In a Grove um, you know this was a this this story presents a a a robbery a rape and a murder from um, multiple points of view and and then asks the reader to decide which is the true which is the true version. And there's and, and one of the things that's to me most brilliant about it is Akutagawa doesn't actually tell you which is the true story. You you're left to kind of decide this yourself or or be unable to decide it. And that story, which I read in '94, I think because I was you know I was even at that time I was beginning to write the Red Riding books and the early crime fiction I was writing and, and it just seemed a completely different approach to crime writing than I'd ever come across before, and um, and it was a it was a format it, it's sort of the basic that that kind of multiple you know conflicting narrative approach I used in. Um, uh, a little bit in GB84 with a competing the book about the minor strike with a competing um, narrative narrative voices, but but particularly with Occupied City, the second of the Tokyo trilogy books, and so he's he's been he's been an influence. Being born in um, you know in in 1892 and 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 dying in 1927, I mean that period of change for the world, but in particular for Japan, it, it was this a very dramatic period of change, and you know his struggles with. Um, Modernity, for want for want of a better word, were, were were the things that I think drew me to how how he tried and the the, the you know the, the conflict of um, the old and the new, the, the you know the 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 east and the west, um, his um, his very very kind of um, complex and strange relationship with Christianity. Uh, the, these were, I, I mean, perhaps his relationship with Christianity was the thing that was the was was for me one of the most interesting things. Um, 
or things that I found a common way in, possibly. Do you want to read us the passage from, from Patient X? Yes, I, 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 if, I, if I can give a little preamble about how this... Absolutely. So, so basically, one of the things that I, 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 I do is, uh, is to kind of practice writing, which by what, what I mean is that I, I, the texts that I really like, like chapters or paragraphs or so forth, I, 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 as well as doing my own writing, I try and spend a, at least an hour a day copying out by hand other people's writing. So, so for example, one of the things I've been doing recently is going through like uh, you know certain chapters of Bleak House by Dickens and just looking at the way there's the rhythm and the repetition. And I really, this to me is like practicing your scales if you're a musician. It's a, it's an important part of the process. And one of the things that I used to do was to kind of copy out bits of the uh, Akutagawa, but obviously it's translated. So I would take different translations and try to kind of like you know work. And I'm quite fascinated by the art of translation and so forth. So. And then um, back in um, 2011, um, in, the, in the March, uh, as, as I'm sure everyone listening will remember, there was a the, the, the devastating um, earthquake and tsunami and a nuclear meltdown in Fukushima. And, um, you know, one, one thing that was really, you know, amongst all the death and destruction um, in, in the Tohoku region, um, you know, entire libraries were washed away, and and you know, particularly like you know, some towns lost entire all the books and everything, and um, and 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 some some people I knew put together wanted to put together a a book uh, to raise money, and the book was going to be in English, published in England and the states, and in Japan in Japanese, and the book was going to raise money to rebuild some of the libraries in Tohoku, and and they were asking the writers. Um, um, to 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 uh, submit to contribute a story that that um, was also about uh, the earthquake um, or about like your response to the earthquake and um, and actually on the day of the earthquake at that time I'd actually been in the UK and I, I didn't actually come back I'd, I'd actually been temporarily living in West Yorkshire and so actually we moved back here only uh, three weeks after the earthquake. So I, 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 you know, I hadn't experienced the earthquake, and I was in Tokyo, not in Tohoku. So I was very unsure of what to, of what to write. But one of the things that I'd always been fascinated by was Akutagawa's reaction and response to the 1923 earthquake. In so the 1923 earthquake in Tokyo, uh, what you know, 120,000 people died. You know, half a million people were made homeless. It was absolutely devastating, and there was. You know, a debate then which re, re resurfaced in um, uh, in, in two thousand eleven, and is and you 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 come across it again now in in relation to the to the to the COVID epidemic, was you know what what is the point of art and writing at these times and so forth, and so the, the story I contributed uh, was called after the disaster before the disaster, which is one of the chapters in Patient X. And actually, it was writing that that made me actually want to then take take this, to to keep writing about Akutagawa. So that's actually so. The, 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 this story is really where the book came from. After the disaster, on the way back to Tabata, passing through Iria, under a tangle of scorched electric lines, beside streetcars burnt in their tracks, Rianoski suddenly heard the voice of a child by the side of the road. The child playing in the rubble. The child singing, "My old Kentucky home." In a trice, the song of this child overcame the spirit of negation which had gripped and overwhelmed Rianoski. Yes, thought Rianoski, 
There will always be those who say that art is excess and surplus to our existence. And it is true, when your head is on fire, you do not think how best to represent the flames, just as when you take a piss or have a shit, you maybe don't think of Rembrandt or Goethe. Yet surely what makes humans human is always this excess and this surplus we create, which gives us our dignity, which helps us to transcend and to sing a song no quake or fire can ever destroy. But then, approaching Nipori, Rianoski fell in step with a policeman. As the two men walked, Rianoski questioned the policeman at length about the earthquake, about the fires and about the various rumours of crimes and insurrections that seemed to still fall from every passing mouth, hanging in the air with the smoke and the odour of death, that stench of rotting apricots. The policeman, impressed perhaps by Rianoski's helmet, was talkative, but confessed that while he knew many had been accused of malicious or revolutionary acts, he himself had seen no evidence of any such deeds. Just outside Nepori station, Rianoski and the policeman came across the body of a man tied to a pole, his head beaten in, his body horribly mutilated, with a sign around his neck which declared he was both a Korean and an arsonist. The man must have died by inches, and even now, perhaps hours after his slow death as Rianoski and the policeman stood before him, another passerby approached to whack the corpse with a rolled-up parasol. This passerby now turned to Rianoski and the policeman. He thanked them for their good work, bowed, and then sauntered off, swinging his now bloody parasol as he went. The policeman shook his head. He urged Rianoski to take care, bade him farewell, and then walked on. After the disaster, in the twilight, Rianoski remained transfixed before the body of the Korean, the ground beneath him still rising and falling, and as Rianoski stared at the body of the Korean, at all the bodies of the dead, as he stared across this city of rubble, across this city of smoke, everywhere he saw gears and wheels translucent against the earth, luminous against the sky, turning and spinning, grinding and screaming. Now four crows landed on two adjacent, tilted, twisted poles. They stared first at the corpse, then at Rianoski. Rianoski took off his helmet. Rianoski bowed his head. The biggest crow lifted its bloody beak heavenwards and cawed once, twice, a third time, and then a fourth. After the disaster, the official record stated that the Great Canto earthquake had had a magnitude of 7.9 on the Richter scale but it had started at 11.58am on September the 1st, 1923, and had stopped after four minutes. Rianoski did not believe the official record. Rianoski believed the earthquake had not stopped, would never stop. Rianoski knew the disaster was still to come. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. Early on in the book, there's a scene that really struck me I, I believe it's with Rianoske and a uh, uh, young Rianoske and his father and uh, his father leads him to sort of the edge of town and they look out and it's just a scene of corpses and and destruction and death and his father tells him he should never look away from horror that he should always face it and I think throughout the book there's a preoccupation with trying to face the that difficult reality of life and the extremes of life and mm. I, there's a moment where uh, I think a friend takes him to, you know, medical college to see a corpse and the yep. skin is peeled back from the face and he's trying to capture that through writing mm -hmm. and through literature. 
and a sense that you know that the sort of surreal and and strange nature of life can't be captured mm. simply by observing but has to be sort of translated or communicated through art mm. um how how was it exploring that preoccupation and um how central was that for you that that sort of that focus on on facing um those those extremes of life and, and experience. With the scene in terms of chronologically writing the book where he was first asked to um, to face the horror. Actually, I, I took that from um, Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa, the film director's um, autobiography, because he too lived through the earthquake. And, and there's a scene where if you read Akutagawa's biography and Kurosawa's, they, they, they must have really almost crossed paths at the same, at a, at a very, very terrible site, which was where... Um, in the Yoshiwara place, which is near here, where, where, where the old courtesans um, uh, uh, were, li- were living. Um, many of them were burnt to death and their corpses were in a, in a pool. And both Akutagawa saw this and uh, Kurosawa saw this. And Kurosawa, when he went to see this, he was with his older brother and his older brother said, you know, you, you don't look away. He, fought, he physically turned his face to look at it. You must confront this. And then Akuta Gaur had had a similar experience earlier in his life with his, it was his adopted father who who, who forced him to look at a corpse as, as well. Um, and so I was aware of that repetition, but it's, it's interesting you, you, you know, you, you, you would, you, you mention it and talk, you talk about it much more eloquently than, than, than I would. Because I think now, now, as you were saying it, I was thinking that actually it was something that particularly when I was writing the early books about the about the effect that the Yorkshire Ripper case had on society. You know, you know you, you're trying to portray, well, for me, I was trying to portray the, the, the horror and the devastation that had befallen the women who were victims of, of Peter Sutcliffe, and yet I'm writing them in what is really the ent- for the entertainment industry, for want of a better word. I tried as hard as possible to find a way in which to give the victims a voice um, to convey to the reader the suffering and the misery, the, the great pain that they had felt, and then the suffering and misery that their families were continuing to live with, but not to make it in any way an entertainment or a voyeuristic pleasure. The victims of the Yorkshire Ripper were a continuous presence through my, through my childhood and, um, and, and for anybody growing up in the north of England. And, and I think that, 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 that they, you know, that they, they were, there was a way, that, I mean, I don't know if I succeeded, but there was a way you have to kind of remember, remember them and, and not to focus on, on for example, the, the, the man behind it, for example. So, but it's, it's interesting, so, and I mean, maybe that was so subconsciously, again, why, why, why actually, now you pointed it out, why actually I do, I, I do have quite a lot about Akusagawa being forced to, to confront these things. And I think you talk about that that issue of entertainment, or, or uh, Rianosuke does within the book, yeah. when he he talks about um, horror in or crisis in in real life, you know, terrible events actually being a form of entertainment or the excitement. And I think we all know from sort of twenty four seven news the way it does yeah. become a form of entertainment, real life crisis. Yeah. And I think Rianoske says that actually it's within fiction or within art where it, it is no longer an entertainment and that, that sort of horror is realized. The measure of art need not only be that it's its entertainment value. The power to move and the power to educate to me is, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we often shy away now. There's a, there's a kind of, 
the, the idea of like didactic literature or so so is seen as you know people are, are very critical of it generally and, and and you know pontificating and so forth is nobody wants to particularly read you know a, a novel that would be better phrased as a letter to the editor but the the, the, the sole worth of a of a of whether it's music, film, literature, whatever, it, the sole worth of it doesn't have to be its entertainment value, you know. But it's, I mean, as you as you all know in nonfiction, I mean, you know, uh, often the way that they sell nonfiction is that it, you know, it reads like a thriller, it reads like a page turner, as if you know, that's the that's the only that's the only merit something could have. Uh, it's important to remember that you know that, that, that like you know art has 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 multiple functions that can coexist as well, but we don't need to be banning one kind. You know, but we can, but we can. All these can exist together. At the same time that I think Rianaske tries to face the horror, he also, I guess, finds solace or you know, sort of sanctuary in this in the house of books. Um, you know, within literature, within fiction, and it, folk tales and and myth and and tradition play a, a large role in this book. And it's interesting. We're talking to Mexican writer for uh, Fernando Melkor as well, who writes also about myth and, and sort of legend and, and folklore. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, throughout the book, I think even in one of the chapters, there's a, an epilogue, um, you know, from a, a quote from a Japanese folktale. Um, and it plays a really powerful role throughout the book of informing how we should live and how we understand our reality. Uh, more so than observing life does. And yeah, it was his way into you know his way into literature, and then his way into writing was to, um, you know, he he, you know, his early work was he would he would be retelling these classical tales from, um, you know, ancient or medieval Japan and China particularly, and um, re, you know, like the, the the story like Rashomon is is a, is a medieval tale that he retold. Um, you know, and then in a grove again is a, is a, is another medieval tale. But he he would then take a kind of he would you know like I, as I mentioned earlier the idea of retelling this medieval tale but from multiple narrative points of view. So he would bring a kind of really you know I see him as very much part of the kind of of the, of the modernist movement of his like you know of his of his European contemporaries American and European contemporaries. Um, and and uh, you know it's it's you know it's uh, it's interesting. For example, he had a huge, he had a great fascination with Yeats. For example, you know I mean and Yeats, as, as you probably know, is a is it had a huge influence in Japan, a huge legacy in Japan, um, uh, and a reciprocal relationship with the no plays for for Yeats and stuff. And so, I mean, Rianoski is part of that kind of world, and his literature is retelling these tales, but but using them also um, with a modern narrative technique and point of view and and it was really the way that he saw the world was through the stories and i think that that moral foundation that those fairy tales tended to to give people just don't seem to to work in the modern world or you know don't don't seem to give a good to that that you know the moral certainty because i think throughout the book and I, that that leads me on i think to the next thing i wanted to ask you about is is you know that the crisis of the self that goes on in this book and i mean you write um so often about individuals uh who are either extreme um in, in themselves or are in extreme situations and 
you have behind you, I think, a poster of the great Gatsby there in the room you're in right well, now. Well, that, 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 that's my son's poster. Your son's <laughs> poster. Another in, individual who is uh, definitely, yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, could be described as extreme. Um, but, but at the beginning of, of Patient X, you know, we have this fantastic image of, of Rianoski sort of climbing up a the thread of a spider that he's saved and, and he's being sort of um, trying to escape the pit of sins and, and the mountain of guilt and he's being held back by his his cells and, and throughout the book it's this sort of conflict between this internal conflict between who he is and uh, the fragmented nature of the self uh, which I thought was really interesting. As I was saying earlier I mean he, he, he was very much torn apart by his times by, by the you know the the, the the, the the conflict between the the Japan Japan not only modernizing but becoming like westernized and then the and then the pull of the traditional family and he you know he he had a quite a difficult and complex personal uh, life which you know with a lot of pull from you know family ties and then um, it seems to me that he was he ended up you know like 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 many people under the under under modernity. Um, being being crushed and broken into a fragment of cells, it's just this kind of struggle to hold himself to hold himself together. And he looked for ways, and one of the ways in which he looked to hold himself together was was with um, different interpretations of Christianity. But but actually, which in the end only only really served to further further fragment fragment him. Um, and you know, and and and. Uh, ultimately he is unable to put himself together or to keep himself together and then and then chooses and then you know tragically to choose as suicide and he at the end of you know he is left with the the two the two manuscripts the autobiography that he wants to burn and and the the biography essentially of of christ Yes. That he was hoping to write, and he seems, you know, conflicted between the two. Man of the West, which is was his attempt to write a biography of Christ, is in two parts, and it's a, it's quite a text, and I, I, I think from a traditional Christian point of view, his misreading of the situation of Christ's life would be that he, I mean, he ident- I think basically, you know, one way to read Rionoski is that he identifies with the martyr, but not the redemption. And so it's a kind of it's it's almost a kind of fatal reading of 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 one aspect of Christianity. Another uh, maverick individual that you wrote about was, of course, uh, Brian Clough in the in the Damned United, who yes. spent six weeks as the manager of Leeds United. Uh, and I was actually I was looking back over an interview between him and his rival um, back in I think seventy four, and he comes out with this line that you know he says uh, I'm a, I'm an I'm an idealist I want to be like me and this you know this statement of wanting to be like him this real individuality and and drive uh, which was sort of doomed in the end. I mean, he's an incredibly complex character because I mean you know he was um, Don Revy who he took over from. Uh, Revy was famous for being superstitious. Uh, I mean, one of Clough's great quotes is, I don't believe in luck, I'm a socialist. You know, he, he was somebody marched, you know, during the 72 miners' strikes, he, you know, uh, he was he was marching with the miners and um, and he was very much the man of the people. But at the same time, I mean, one of the reasons I was drawn to, to, to write about him in The Damned United was he seemed to represent, um, to me, and obviously... This is my my interpretation of him. He he seemed to represent, in a way, the 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 kind of 
the, the that kind of self-made like northern working class English man that you get that is actually ultimately like some kind of proto-Thatcherite kind of guy who, you know, in the end it starts off in, you know, attacking the system, breaking down the system, you know, uh, but ends up being about me and my family and, and the money and nothing else. Um but but a very conflicted, very conflicted and very driven in, in, individual. And and those six weeks were, you know, obviously the least successful of his of his career. And I found those then the you know, and I, I often think that it's um it's the most interesting times in, in people's life. And it's also, you know, I mean, look, Brian Clough is was a, there's a case that he was the greatest English football manager of all time. You know, he you know, not only does he take Nottingham Forest to win the first division championship, he takes them to win the European Cup and to retain the European Cup and nobody nobody's really done anything at all equivalent. Um, but none of us can really identify with winning the European Cup, but we can all, a lot of us, identify with going into a work situation where nobody likes you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, everything's sure going wrong. Sure that we can succeed. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> so, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I um, you know, a lot of that was from my early experiences uh, working in like, you know, language schools in, in, in Japan, teaching English, really. And, you know, not, you know, and, and, you know, trying to, you know, I was often sent in to try to, you know, make schools better and ended up making them worse by, you know, you know, cracking too many eggs or whatever, you know, but any, anyway, so it's, it's, um, you know, that, you know, it's, I think it's that, that, but, you know, it's, it's trying, trying to find something to empathize with, uh, as, as a writer that then the reader will empathize with. Mm -hmm. And how, what is your process? Because I mean, both with, with Patient X and, and with the Damned United, it must've taken a, a lot of research, a lot of work. I mean, within Patient X, it's, you know, we have a mix of sort of, examples of his writing of you know newspaper reports at the time are, are sort of you know printed almost within the book it seems yeah. in in column yeah. form um so and you you know you provide an extensive bibliography as well so what is your process when you decide you want to write about an individual um you know even though it is fiction even though it is you know yeah. a novel um what is your approach Patient X was a little bit was a little bit different because I worked on it over a number of years in between other other you know I I, I would use it as my kind of uh, like hobby, um, so so it, it built up more slowly but but the process is still the same but you know it's um, first of all any anything that I write write about at heart there has to be a mystery I want to find out something by writing the story I want to find out something whether it you know whether it's um you know why was it that the crimes of the Yorkshire Ripper happened in the area that I grew up you know why why was it not in 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 another place what what, what was it about this society that you know what or, or sorry I should phrase it like was there something about this society that allowed these these cr crimes to to occur and to keep occurring you know or then on on a on a completely trite and trivial le level, you know, why did Brian Clough accept the job at Leeds United, and why was he sacked? You know, what you know something, you know, and then with Ria, with Rianoske Kutagawa, it was, um, you know, ultimately, and and, and I I don't know the answer, but ultimately, you know, you know, as as with as with many people who commit suicide, is that the question is always why, and actually, I think it's always unanswered. You know, I think it never. Inevitably, we can never really answer these questions, but there has to be a kind of mystery that that drives me, that drives the research. I think, and um, and then it's just 
for me a question of um, what what I'm what I'm trying to do in in many cases is to is to try to put myself back in that time and that place to try to to write with not the benefit of hindsight so to to go back so to use the easy example of Brian Clough in 1974 you know so I go back to the newspapers of 1974 and I go through the newspapers and you know I I, I read the newspapers and. And all you know, I, I want to be able to feel really the texture of the time. You know, the what was on the TV. Even though I don't, I don't, I don't like to include that kind of shorthand too much because it's a kind of it can be a bit of a kind of lazy way of trying to recreate a time. But but the weather, personal ads of newspapers are fascinating. What were people selling? How much were they selling? And all this kind of you know this kind of detail to me is really fascinating. You know, most of the people I write write I write about they have been written about already in 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 in, in and when I say so, I say so-called non-fiction. I don't mean that to denigrate non-fiction. It's just I think that you know, I mean to me, non-fiction is is is, is going to be subjective as well. And so you know, you can read, you can read umpteen different accounts of all the people who were in the Leeds United team, or Brian Clough himself wrote three different ghost-written autobiographies, and they all contradict each other. And I I see that as being quite natural. And so I I kind of try to then use these things to create a kind of just to create a drama a, a, you know a, a, a drama that that seeks to kind of um you know i i am trying to produce something that is that is uh, you know this is the contradiction it, it, it's fiction but it but it, it but it's a, it's a truthful fiction but i don't say it's the truth because of course i, I wasn't i wasn't there but and it's just a kind of question of researching and f- until I can kind of feel the texture of the time and to then hear the voices of especially to hear the voices of the character when the characters start to speak one of the great things for me for example with writing about Bill Shankly in Red or Dead was that that um, one of the journalists who'd, who'd, who'd spent a lot of time ghostwriting one of Shankly's own book he'd kept all the cassettes of Shankly's of the interviews he did with Shankly and so he very kindly gave me these cassettes which I took back to Tokyo and so I had these hours of cassettes of um, John, the journalist, John Roberts, talking to Bill Shankly and Nessie Shankly's bringing him a cup of tea. Shankly's going to speak to the grandkids. And yeah, 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 it was just yeah, it was just like having the privilege of being sat in the room and then, and then pick, trying to pick up the rhythms of, of, of the speech and the, and the accents and stuff. So, I mean, the, the, you know, when it's something like Bill Shankly, the research is the most enjoyable part. When it's something like the Yorkshire Ripper or the Miner's Strike, Member research is a, is the hard part. I mean, you choose to do it, but it's uh, but the Shankly was the great one for me because it was actually a very enjoyable experience writing about him. And did you uh, were you ever tempted to write more straightforward nonfiction, or uh, you know, to write a, a a purely factual account? I've done uh, you know you know certain articles and 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 things. I um, I you know and I'm. You know, friend, friends of you know, I, I'm good friends with Richard Lloyd Parry, who's the Asian correspondent, uh, the Asian editor of the Times, and he's written. Um, he wrote the book "People Who Eat Darkness" about the, about the death of Lucy, murder of Lucy Blackman in Tokyo, and he also wrote "Ghost of the Tsunami." And I, I just marvel at, uh, uh, at the, you know, at nonfiction writers such as yourself. I, I, I do marvel at you know that that nonfiction writers who can sustain you know. Um, uh, you know, hook with the narrative without resorting to the tricks of that novelists stoop to. <laughs> well, I yeah, but I think at the same time with a novel, you have to have. I mean, you have to have that confidence to you know to really 
go all in and trust yourself to to you know write that yeah. account and to embody that that character or to let that character speak you know um and i think yeah, that I mean, it I... achieves a lot in itself as well obviously the thing that i very much um empathize with non-fiction writers is because i i i i, I don't make up the stories i find real life history fascinating enough with that I, you know, I i admire people who can make up complete worlds and you you know like something from start to finish really really admire them but i can't i can't do it i'm too drawn to i i want i you know i, I have enough trouble trying to understand the world around me without trying to make up other ones you know so but i but you know i admire people who can do that and I think at least a lot with with Patient X, it's a, very much about the sort of internal conflict and the internal dialogue. And so I think to capture that, it would be very difficult to capture that uh, or is uh, in nonfiction. I think that's the biggest challenge, um, you know, and so a novel, I think, gives the space to really explore that internal dialogue and conflict. In a way, it is a kind of a trick and a deceit, but, but I just hope that Actually, there, there, there isn't really a an English language biography of Akuta Gao, but I would hope that that this is a kind of um, tries to really put the reader in that time and the place, and to sense what Akuta Gao was going through, and again this conflict and fragmentation. And, and I think that you know again that perhaps many of us in two thousand and twenty can can identify with the the kind of a sense of the self being fragmented. You know now, obviously into different virtual, you know, you have people on social media and different kind of, and then the real people, you know, you know, my, for my kid, for example, my kids often talk about, you know, their real friends and their other friends. And it's a, you know, this kind of fragmented life that's become kind of normalized. And, um, and, and, and I, and I would hope that this, that by, by choosing to do this in fiction, it, it, it kind of, um, you know, does, does, does make it uh, easier for readers to empathize perhaps. Yeah. And it, and, and perhaps, you know, not be, uh, and, and to be maybe less drive than an academic biography might be. Talk to us a little bit about uh, Tokyo Redux, which is, I believe, coming out. Is it next year? It's due out. Well, it is now. It? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I, I, I should have been um, in Dublin promoting the book now, and it should have been published. And it's been a long time coming. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's. Um, as I say, it's the, you know, if this is the least of my problems, that it's another year after all this time. But. Um, Yes, it's the it's the third in the, of the Tokyo trilogy. And the idea of this this trilogy was to go through the end of the war in Japan, which so through nineteen forty five through to the towards the end of the occupation, which was the American occupation in fifty two, which um, again was a pivotal moment in in the history of Japan. And it was actually my, you know, Patient X and the Tokyo trilogy were were ways for me to try to uh, understand. The, the place that I've chosen to live in, you know, I mean, this is, you know, the, the, the room I'm speaking to you from now. I mean, this was this is in the east end of a to- of Tokyo, which was this 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 very area was destroyed in the 1923 earthquake, rebuilt, and then it was bombed flat in March 1945, and and yet is rebuilt into this modern city. And I, I really wanted to try to understand as much for my kids as for myself as to how 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 this occurred. Um, Tokyo Redux. Um, went through very many versions over the years. You know, it was supposed to follow Occupied City and then I decided it wasn't ready and so I wrote Red or Dead and then I went back to it. And then I, you know, as I was saying to you, after the earthquake of 2011, I decided to then pursue Patient X and then, and then I find... So anyway, it's 
so finally finished it and it's um it's you know it's it's it basically takes a a mystery as as i was saying but but and this mystery is that in in july 1949 the president of the japanese national railroads which had just been nationalized um he was found his body was found on the train tracks very close again to here um and ever since then no one has really um been able to determine whether he committed suicide whether he was murdered and if he was murdered who who was he murdered by was it by the trade unions was it by you know left-wing extremists or was it by actually right-wing nationalists or were the americans involved and so forth and so again like like with so many of the stories like like occupied city as well there were very there was multiple theories and points of view and and so the the story in the end it focuses on on the immediate aftermath of the crime, then it jumps ahead to sixty four just before the Tokyo Olympics, and then it ends up in nineteen eighty eight with you know with the end of the Emperor Showa as the Showa Emperor is dying, and and uses again there are basically three different perspectives on the on on the on the crime, um, but uh, yeah unfortunately it won't be out now until next year. Uh, and are you working on anything else at the moment? You mentioned uh, Francis Bacon project. Well, no, no, that's a very that was a that's a kind of that's a kind of more of a ho- a hobby and a fascination. One of the things I wanted to look into been a very very early early stage really. But my priority is now is to. I always saw UK Decay, the Damned United, Red or Dead, as part of a of a loose quartet, um, um, and there was a book that you know that. You know, I've had under contract with Faber for many years called UK Decay, which is uh, which is which I'm I'm now uh, working on, um, which is which is which is centres really around the um, the plots and the conspiracies to uh, undermine and 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 get rid of the of the Wilson government in 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 1974, uh, 75, 76. Um, a lot of it relates to Northern Ireland, which was one of the issues, why, one of the reasons why I was particularly keen to be visiting the No Alibi bookshop and to be spending some time in Belfast. Um, so, um, but I and I'm, I'm still hoping I'll, I will get over and be able to to do this to do the research in Belfast and Dublin. Be um, you know, relatively soon. Definitely, it's it's an interesting time for that. I mean, with with yeah. Brexit happening, I know, and you see, I mean, what. You know the book. Well, while I say it's about the plot to unseat Wilson, it's also about the forces that brought Margaret Thatcher to power. And actually, it's quite interesting how certain names then keep coming up. Or you know, uh, and the, and the, you know, you know, she's she's an angry ghost. She rattles around. You know, uh, she does haunt the landscape. And um, you know, as I say, it's been quite interesting going back because again, a lot of the work I'd I'd done early on uh, to up with this book. Um, I'd, I'd then put it to one side and actually then going back after a period of like 15 years and, and um, going back at the, going back and looking at that work is quite interesting then looking at the early work and research I'd done in the light of Brexit and all the different things that have happened you know I won't go into all the details now but you know you look at some of the some of the media tricks that were used against Corbyn for example whatever you may think of Corbyn I would I would argue you know these were these were highly highly you know um undemocratic means that were used against him. I mean, you look at what happened under Wilson and there is a repetition, you know, there's a repetition of history. I wanted to ask you, David, about your comments recently about the Common People Report, which looks into inequality 
in publishing. And you mentioned how prior to the pandemic, for anyone involved in publishing, it would have been essential to read this report and to implement its recommendations. And I'll, I'll quote you on this um, directly because I think it's it's a really powerful statement. You say that now, though, with the worst economic recession since the Great Depression, only set to worsen the inequalities and divisions in what is already the most unequal and divided nation in Europe, reading this report and implementing its recommendations should be a matter of the utmost urgency for everyone involved in publishing, and any failure to do so is simply an abdication of responsibility which perpetuates inequality and division and censors and silences an entire class of people. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on how important it is that we address this issue of inequality in publishing and the impact of not hearing a diversity of voices in what we read and, and having those perspectives represented. The report takes, which was, it was done by New Writing North and based on the, the Common People anthology that came out about working class writers and taking some of the writers that were, 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 were in the anthology and looking at and talking about their experiences they'd had and the difficulties in being published. Like my own experience was, was that I, I, you know, I was able to run my first book while I was, while I was, while I was teaching in Japan. And I was a able to uh, send off a few pages to Serpent's Tale, and they were able to write back and say, "Yes, we want to publish this," and and so forth. And that's and, and that was in the crime genre, which so. so. But uh, you know, I, but, but the the avenue of being able to just to send your man your manuscript without representation, or you know, without without in many cases without having been on a creative writing course or something now i mean these are i mean the the these avenues are very few and far between and um i i don't i don't wish to 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 to, to talk here about like you know to be negative about creative writing courses because you know i'm you know there are, you know people i know teach on them you know, I, you know, I at the University of Tokyo, like once a week, I, I teach a create. It's not though a creative. It's a, it's a component of a regular. So it's a contemporary literature and creative. So it's people are not studying just creative writing, but you know, and I know that people from different backgrounds save up hard to go onto these courses, and these courses may have their merits. It's not the courses that I'm against. It's the fact that they often are the only route into. It's the only that many editors will only or agents will only be looking at people who've come from these courses. And that actually, you know, that, that, they be, that the way you're going to get a kind of, um, the way you're going to get your manuscript seen is by, actually is through the contact of the tutor on the course or somebody who visits the course or, you know, it's, you know, people people will write to me with, 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 with manuscripts because it's, you know, simply the, because you cannot, because publishers are refusing unsolicited submissions, you know it means that you're, you're, the the only way to get a manuscript seen is through is through like is through personal contacts, and um, you know this unfortunately is uh, the you know to to put this very simply, and this is me, not the Common People Report, but 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 you know to put very simply, this seems to me to very much limit the num the the variety and the diverse voices that you could get. And it seems to particularly mean that there are very few um, working class 
writers coming out being, being published in in England and we can argue all day about whether the working class still exists or what or whatever and the, and this is often the argument that's thrown against it I mean uh, to, 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 to me just the, the simplest thing would be for, for, for publishers to open up unsolicited like to accepting unsolicited manuscripts uh, would be a start um, would be would be one thing um, as I said in the quote but you know this was a, this was an, a, a huge huge issue prior prior to the to prior to the pandemic so at the moment you know so publishers can't publish books so for like in my case but my book can't be published until next year authors aren't earning any royalties you know bookshops are like book particularly independent bookshops are struggling to survive you know amazon are only selling kindle versions of their books in the uk so it means that you know you can't even sell the books that you know on online and what what was the immediate what i'm hearing from people you know i know within publishing who work in the accounts and the so forth but that basically the 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 you know the, the all the major and independent publishers are going to be really really badly hit by this and that means that actually you know there's a danger shall we say that they're going to be then publishing less diverse voices than than they were already which was not very many so i mean this is a so it becomes a matter of extreme urgency the reason why Brexit came as such a surprise to so many people in, in, in London was because they do not hear or read the voices in the area that I grew up in, which voted, which voted, to, which voted to leave. You know, it's, it's diff, two different countries. And, and the only way that the, this, you know, the only way, you know, I know it sounds like some kind of very like banal hippie-ish kind of thing to say, but it's on, only empathy and understanding brings people together. And the, and the only way you're going to heal the division is by is by you know, is to buy listening and, 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 and not talking at people, but listening to them and to their stories. I think there's always common ground to be found. Always, yeah. I usually ask people what they're, what they're reading or listening to at the moment, but I think after talking about that, are there, you know, working class writers or writers that you think um, are important to be heard in this moment? This possibly doesn't qualify as a as a as a, as a working class writer, but the, and it's actually it's a, it's a London novel, so I'm just going to be hip, a bit hypocrite now. But to, or, or to show my broad mindedness, <laughs> shall I say? So, so uh, I mean the, the 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 treatment by Michael Naff, which I read before but before this, but actually, you know, Michael had the ill fortune to be published just as this was just you know in early March, and I think there's going to be, you know. You know, I'm in a lucky way that my book's been held over, but there's people who've been had their books published and they're going to be missed, really, because people are not, you know, people are not, you know, and who can blame them not really looking at the books pages these days? And so Michael Naff's novel, The Treatment, which is about, um, which is about the murder of a young black, the racist murder of a young black teenager at a bus stop in South London, which obviously then has echoes of Stephen Lawrence. Fast forward 20 years later and a, you know, a, a kind of ragtag motley crew of a rent boy, a journalist, a, a comedian and a solicitor decide to take their revenge. Um, and it, and the, the book is, um, is uh, you know, it's, it's one of the most it's one of the most like linguistically and formally daring novels that I've read in a long while, British novels. And um, and also um I, I, you know, it, it, I think it's very, but it asks very powerful questions about racism, about per police corruption, about the role of the media and so forth. And, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, again, a very timely, a timely book. And, 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 and I, I, I just worry that, you know, but it's not, 
you know, I was, I was convinced this was going to be, you know, like be, be, be kind of, you know, to me when I read it, it was like, it was like, what, you know, it's one of those books when as a writer, when you read it and you think, wow, I, I wish I'd written that, mm. you know, so, um, and, you know, so, um, you know, so that's Michael Naff's The Treatment. And then The Chain by Adrian McKinty, uh, McKinty, got your Carrick Fergus. So, uh, and Adrian's story is very inspiring as well. You know, he's a, he's a writer who, um, but the reason I'm so pleased this is such a great hit for him is that he's the most generous, you know, he's been so generous about my books, about, you know, he spends his life writing about and promoting other people's books. And his own writing has never really, you know, had the, had, I don't think, had the kind of, readership or acclaim but it's deserved and you know he was on the point of giving up and he was uber driving and you know like really about to give it all up and um and then he you know he had this wonderful simple really in a way those kind of like you know a, you know a book you can say in a sentence that's just gonna like you know hook people you know couldn't happen to a nicer chap and 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 you know and and, and so that's okay it's a good and a good a good story. I, I guess before we go, you know, we are we are asking writers what what freedom means to them in this moment, and I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on that. You know, on a purely personal level, like my father's in the UK and he's been in hospital for four weeks, and he can't have a visitor, and so this has been really hard for us, like as a family, you know. And I would like him to be in a position to have the freedom to have a visitor and for family to be able to have the freedom to go and see him. That's a purely personal thing. But to try to take something posit positive from this whole moment in history, I, I would have said that one thing that's always been, I think, hard to get people to do, understandably, is to sacrifice. And that, you know, that many of the things that we would like or wish to happen, for example, like, you know, better health care, better education, uh, reform of like care for the elderly, housing and so forth, demands a level of sacrifice um, in terms of like paying more tax, you know, just simply paying more tax. And policy in the UK, for example, has been really hindered on all fronts and all debates have been hindered by you know, an inability for anybody to make a persuasive argument that you need to pay more taxes. Um, and, you know, perhaps with this great, you know, valorization of the NHS and so forth and this great, you know, this great moment, maybe this is the moment that we, we can, maybe the, the moment now is, you know, uh, here where you can make the case for all time that people are going to have to pay taxes. But, you know, and also that, you know, on a on a on an even larger level, that actually, you know, if if we want the planet to survive, we're going to have to consume less and sacrifice more in terms of, you know, OK, I can't get on a flight to come to Dublin. But, you know, in, in a way, we can still do these things, you know, and OK, there's a great, there's a, you know, we're, I'm not saying we're not missing a lot and sacrificing by not, you know, on it, you know, but, but, you know, in a way, you know, maybe we need to look again at like, you know, like, you know, maybe not consuming quite as much as we were doing before and to, you know, like, as I say, so may, maybe, maybe it's the, Maybe when I say about freedom, it's the freedom to make these sacrifices, you know, to make these sacrifices if you're in the position to make them. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking here from, I know, a privileged position where you can make these sacrifices. 
you know there's many people are you know their businesses are going under they don't know where they you know they're not in these positions so but that that if that makes sense is what i you know the freedom to kind of you know you know in a way that you know that we actually start to you know want to sacrifice things um pay more taxes to consume less maybe maybe seeing seeing equality as a as a form of freedom absolutely almost always someone's freedom means someone else's lack of freedom you know there's a, there's a freedom is somehow always a pernicious unless you unless you're you're in a, in a state of equality absolutely well david thank you so much for your time it's it's been a brilliant conversation thank, thank you, you. David Peace's Patient X and the Tokyo Trilogy are available now through our festival bookseller, The Gutter Bookshop. Next episode, we'll be speaking with Geraldine Schwartz, author of Those Who Forget. Thanks for listening in and thanks to our sponsors. The International Literature Festival Dublin is an initiative of Dublin City Council, kindly supported by the Arts Council.